According to a new Gallup poll, race relations are at a 20-year low. The majority of Americans, 57%, say that race relations are somewhat or very bad, which is amazing to me because for the past couple of decades, all of our elite institutions have claimed that all whites are racist, blacks can't leave their homes without being hunted down on account of their race, and that race is the single most important aspect of a person's identity. Given the prominence and influence of so many race-hustling hucksters, it's a wonder race relations aren't at an all-time low. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to my glass half full take. My favorite comment yesterday is from Zoop de Floop, who says, they no longer send me updates when you go live. You've made it. Thank you very much. Yes, I'm very pleased about that. <laughs> YouTube is not telling people when my show is live. The New York Times refuses to acknowledge that <laughs> Speechless, my new book, sold more copies than any other book in the country by about 40%. I feel like, I feel like I've really hit something. I feel like we're right over the target. You know, this news about the race relations thing is pretty sad because I, I remember, I remember back when things were a little bit better. And I remember in part because I still have my photos thanks to Legacy Box. You've got a lot of wonderful photos of all those priceless memories that can never be recreated from years ago, decades ago in some cases, some cases even older than that maybe. And they're sitting in a box somewhere. And you say, oh, I'll deal with them later. I'll deal with them later. Well, first of all, they're decaying right now. And with Legacy Box, you can just send them in, have them digitized by hand, get the physical photos and videos back, but then also get the digital copy on a DVD or on a thumb drive or on the cloud. That's great. But then I know what you're thinking. You're saying, well, that's a great idea. I definitely want to do that. It's very important. I'll do it later. Order this right now. Order this right now. You can send them in whenever you want if you've got a busy week or something, but just order it right now. Trust me, these are priceless memories. Think about <laughs> all the investments you make that are totally, you know, frivolous. Invest in your memories. Our memories co constitute so much of who we are. Get started future-proofing your memories today so you can gather the family. Begin the trip down memory lane. Go to LegacyBox.com slash Knowles to get an incredible 40% off your first order. Get it today to take advantage of this exclusive offer, 40% off. Go to LegacyBox.com slash Knowles, save 40% while supplies last. Race relations are at an all-time low. Now, what the libs will tell you, the libs who have dominated every institution for decades now, what they will tell you is the reason race relations are at an all-time low is because we're not talking about race enough. We're not having enough conversations about race. We're not focused on race enough. Now, of course, the strategy for the past 20 years has been to focus more and more and more on race and to push anti-racism and the consequences of critical race theory and various other leftist programs. So the, the proof of the pudding tends to be in the tasting. The consequence of all of these racially conscious new, new ideas seems to be a decline in race relations. And yet what the libs are going to tell us is that this is just evidence that we need even more of their racial theories. That's sort of like how the, the Ibram Kendi types, the anti-racist types, beg the question. Sort of how they say, well, look, if you deny that you are a racist, that is only evidence that you are a racist. And obviously, if you admit that you're a racist, that's evidence that you're a racist. So either way, you need to buy my book. Pretty brilliant marketing campaign. My point, though, on why we don't need to talk about race all the time, why it's detrimental to do that, 
is because there are other bad things. There are other bad things in the world than racism. For instance, so Pit Viper, which it makes the sunglasses from the 90s, you remember those, the colorful sunglasses? They are in a bind. They've been receiving a lot of pressure from leftist groups because apparently some evil, terrible, no good racists have worn pit vipers. So they've, they just, they wore the sunglasses. And so pit vipers needs to make a statement. They made a statement specifically against the, the guy, Nick Fuentes. He, we've mentioned him on the show a few times, who has said plenty of unsavory things and has been entirely unpersoned because of it. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of people who say unsavory things in this country who don't end up on the no-fly list and kicked off of all major social media and not permitted to use financial institutions. <laughs> but because of his unsavory things, he, he has been uh, unpersoned. So Pit Viper sent out a tweet. They said, New policy, money received from confirmed racists will be donated in their name. Thanks for working against your cause, Nick Fuentes. And they donated to the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is a vicious, vile hate group, if you ask me. Uh, One of the worst organizations in the country. Okay, so the money that comes from the racists, that's that's unacceptable. We won't keep that money. We're going to donate it to other groups. Are there other bad things? bad groups of people in the country. So, okay, the racists, they're bad. Okay, fine. Got it. Racists, they're bad. What about the communists? What if you get money, pit vibes, what if you get money from confirmed communists? Are you going to keep that money? Communism killed, what, 100 million people in the 20th century? Vicious anti-human ideology. You're gonna, you, I guess you'll keep that kind of money. What about uh, uh, money from guys who cheat on their wives? Because that's bad. It's bad to cheat on your wife. Are you, you're going to take money from guys who, who uh, cheat on their wives. What about um, pedophile, confirmed pedophiles? I bet that f- some confirmed pedophiles have worn sunglasses at some point in their lives. Are you going to take money from them? What about abortionists? Oh my God, you're going to take money from, hold on. I, I get it. You don't want to take money from racists, but you're going to take money from people whose job it is to murder babies. A lot of bad people out there. A lot of bad things out there. But the only way that we can talk about evil and sin in this country anymore is by talking about racism. It's considered the only bad thing. Just like how among political movements, fascism is the only bad thing. This is why sometimes people will refer to Antifa as fascists or they'll refer to Democrats as fascists. They're not fascists. Antifa is made up of communists and anarchists, and those are very bad people, but they're actually not fascists. And by, by pretending that the political movement that is only ever associated with the right wing, that that's the only bad thing in the world, that plays to the leftist's hand. Speaking of communists, by the way, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, he's not a communist, but Governor Ron DeSantis now is clearly making a play for the 2024 presidential nomination. He's looking down what's going on 90 miles off the coast of Florida, and he is saying the United States ought to free Cuba. From day one, the people of Cuba have been protesting and demonstrating against the communist dictatorship in Havana. It's not because of vaccines. It's not because of these side issues. They want a new government. They want to free Cuba. And it's, I think, incumbent upon us in in the United States uh, to be supportive of those efforts. I've called on Joe Biden. The communist regime has shut down Internet. 
let's work to beam internet onto the island of Cuba so these folks have a fighting chance to converse with one another, to send what's going on to the outside world. Let's build an international coalition uh, so that the regime knows the free world stands with the people of Cuba. I think you're seeing people take to the streets here because we understand after 62 years, something is different on that island right now. We have an opportunity to really take a new chapter in history. And I think you point out in your monologue, Cuba would be a phenomenal ally of our country if it was free. They would boom like probably few countries um, in the Caribbean. It would be uh, a boon for the people of Cuba and it would also be great for relations with the United States. So this will play very well for Ron DeSantis in Florida. Don't forget, he's got to win a gubernatorial election before he can, he's got to win re-election there before he can run for president. So this will play very well. Obviously, lots of Cubans in Miami, a lot of people very supportive to the people of Cuba against the communist regime. I'm not so sure that this kind of thing plays nationally though. This would have played nationally five to 15 years ago, really, actually five years ago to, I don't know, 50 years ago, back when anti-communism was the rallying cry of the conservative movement. And, and especially after the fall of the Berlin Wall, when regime change was sort of the name of the game on the Republican side. But I'm not convinced that the American people want to form any international coalitions to push for any sort of regime change anywhere in the world. Not because it's intrinsically wrong to do that in any way, but because the American people are kind of tired of those regime change wars of empire. I think they're tired. I mean, the the Republican candidate ran against the war in Iraq, ran against remaining in Afghanistan in 2016 and 2020, I guess, for that matter. We're just pulling out of Afghanistan now. This is the first thing, I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm with DeSantis on standing against the communist dictatorship, but the overt calls for an international movement to go in and to institute regime change, I'm not sure that that is the political moment we're in because there's so many problems here in the United States that are not even just economic problems or not even looming problems of debt, say, or, or unfunded entitlements, but real problems of crime in the streets spiking. As we said, race relations lowest in 20 years. We've got uh, people burning down buildings. We've got people who don't trust our, our electoral systems. You know, a lot of problems here in the United States. And I strongly suspect that the candidate in 2024, the Republican nominee in 2024, is going to have a pretty strong domestic focus. Obviously, circumstances can change in the world. So who knows, some unforeseen event involving China or some other geopolitical actor, maybe that could change things. But as of right now, I think the focus is going to be domestic for the people who run for the Republican or who who win the Republican nomination in 2024. And we're going to have to pick that candidate. All right, we're going to have to find the best person for the job. And when you want to find the best person for the job, I would recommend ZipRecruiter. As an employer, by far the most difficult challenge you're going to face, the most consequential decision you're going to make is personnel, who you hire. That is going to make or break your company, okay? And hiring can feel like trying to find a needle in a haystack. So, okay, you can do the old, old-fashioned way where you post your job to some job board and you throw spaghetti at the wall and you just hope that the right person comes along. Or you can do it the smart way. Go to ZipRecruiter right now for free, ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles. You post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job sites with one click. Then ZipRecruiter's matching technology will find the right people with the right skills and experience for your job and actively invite them 
to apply. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post there get a quality candidate within the first day. No wonder over 2.3 million businesses have come to ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. While other companies overwhelm you with way too many options, ZipRecruiter finds you what you're looking for, the needle in the haystack. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash K-N-W-L-E-S. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Ron DeSantis, more than any governor in the country, generally speaking, has his finger on the pulse of where the Republican Party is right now. He's seen things a little bit ahead. Obviously, he's making this play right now for a Cuban vote in Florida, and he's standing against the communists, which is a little maybe out of step with where the Republican Party is because of this domestic focus, I think, that Republicans have right now. But generally speaking, he's ahead on these things. And I think you might start to see a shift in the way that the COVID vaccine is talked about. Ron DeSantis has led the COVID fight better than any other governor in the country. DeSantis now is actively encouraging people to go get the COVID vaccines. If you are vaccinated, fully vaccinated, the chance of you getting seriously ill or dying from COVID is effectively zero. If you look at the people that are being admitted to hospitals, uh, over 95% of them are either not fully vaccinated or not vaccinated at all. And so these vaccines are saving lives. They are reducing mortality. Mortality in nursing homes since we rolled out the vaccines in December is down over 95% due to COVID. Mortality for elderly people since we rolled out the vaccines is down nearly 90%. And so we're proud in Florida that we put seniors first on that because they were the most vulnerable. We have 85% of our seniors that are vaccinated and about 75% of folks over the age of 50. We have no mandate. We've provided information to people um, and, and we've uh, been very honest about any data that, that comes out. So fair enough. That's fine. The, the, the only problem I have with this statement and this new pivot among Republicans to start really pushing the vaccine, not with mandates. He's done a good job of saying, no, we're not going to have a mandate, but still act really encouraging people to go get it is it hides the ball on the question of prudence. It hides the ball on the question of which demographics are most at risk here. Because you're, you're going to hear this statistic, 99.9999% of people who go to the hospital for COVID are unvaccinated now. And so you all need to get the vaccine, get the vaccine sheep. But then notice what Governor DeSantis says. He says, the nursing home mortality from COVID he has to say from COVID because nursing home mortality is you know, 100%. Mortality for everyone is 100% in the long run. He says nursing home fatality, mortality from COVID has dropped 95% since um, among people who got the vaccine. Uh, yeah, of course. That makes sense. Mortality among the elderly from COVID has dropped 95% for those who got the vaccine. Yeah, that makes sense. Does that mean that an 18-year-old needs to go get the vaccine or should get the vaccine? No, that doesn't follow logically at all. From the very beginning, there have been people who have said, everyone needs to go get the vaccine immediately. There have been people who have said, no one should ever touch that vaccine because they're going to get 5G in their bodies and then their cell phones are going to work too well. That's not my position. My position is use prudence. 
This is an experimental drug. It received an emergency use authorization. There are side effects that we were initially not told about that then presented themselves that then the CDC and the FDA had to acknowledge, namely blood clots from the Johnson and Johnson vaccine in women, mostly women, and myocarditis and pericarditis in young people who are otherwise healthy from some of the mRNA vaccines, plus a, a, a rare nervous system disorder that came from the Johnson and Johnson vaccine that's also been present from other vaccines. But slowly they had to acknowledge those risks. If you are in a nursing home, probably the risk from COVID is greater than the risk from the vaccine, especially if we're talking about potential long-term side effects, because if you're in a nursing home, the long-term is not your concern. To quote the great, not actually not so great economist, John Maynard Keynes, in the long run, we're all dead. If you are 15 years old, why would you get this vaccine? Here's the real answer. You, you might get this vaccine because your school makes you, and then you've got to make a choice. Are you going to remain in the school or not? You're going to have to make a political decision there. But from a medical perspective, there is, why on earth would you get the vaccine? There was that story of a, a 13-year-old who died just days after receiving the vaccine from inflammation of the heart. Not saying that correlation is causation, but seems kind of coincidental, doesn't it? And so th- that is the issue here, because the people who are going into hospitals, the, you know, huge numbers of people that we're told are going into hospitals with coronavirus. It's actually not a very large number of people relative to the people who have been infected by it. But it's not, generally speaking, 15 and 18 and 25-year-olds. It's much elder, more, <laughs> much older people, rather. And so when you're making that decision, I think prudence is the answer. And so you're, you're going to start see, seeing even Republican politicians start pushing this vaccine I think we've still got to focus on prudence. That's going to be the answer. That is, that is the conservative virtue. Now, Jen Psaki at the White House is attacking Ron DeSantis, not over his new measures to push the vaccine more and more, but because the man is not doing enough because he won't institute a vaccine mandate or a mask mandate. Florida Governor DeSantis was talking about mask mandates for kids uh, earlier this morning, and he said, we're not doing that in Florida. We need our kids to breathe. We need our kids to be able to be kids. He said it's terribly uncomfortable for them to do it. That obviously goes against the CDC guidance Mm -hmm. for kids under 12 who aren't vaccinated and what the president said last night. Is that putting kids in Florida at risk? Well, as a parent myself, and I know you are one, if I were a parent in Florida, that would be greatly concerning to me. Uh, because kids under the age of 12 are not vaccinated. They're not eligible yet. As the president said last night, obviously it's going to be led by the FDA, but certainly we hope that will be soon. Uh, But that puts kids at risk. It's not aligned with public health guidelines. Uh, We know masks are not the most comfortable thing. I will say my kids are quite adjusted to them, as I know many kids are. Uh, So certainly we would have concern about any step that doesn't abide by public health guidelines, and we think it puts people at greater risk. So you've got to gotta put your seven-year-old in a mask or else you're, you're harming the public health because you understand the vaccine is extremely effective. So it's so effective that if your six-year-old doesn't wear a mask, all the vaccinated people are going to die from the virus that doesn't pose a particularly large risk to, to most people. Jen Psaki is, I think, being pretty disingenuous here. I don't think that the public health geniuses and the politicians who are pushing the mask mandates and the vaccine mandates in some cases, and the strong push for the vaccines and the lockdowns and all the like, 
I don't think they're all that concerned about coronavirus. I don't think they think that coronavirus is nearly as big a deal as they have let on. Here's my evidence of that. The Texas Democrats who fled the state because they didn't want to do their job and have to recognize that the people of Texas want voter integrity laws, they fled the state on an airplane without wearing any masks because they're not afraid of coronavirus because no one's really afraid of coronavirus because except for a, a few demographics of people, most people don't face a great risk from coronavirus. They then got a lot of coronavirus. They go to DC, they mill about with members of Pelosi's staff, with legislators on Capitol Hill, with members of the White House. And now some of those people in the White House have come down with coronavirus. If this were the greatest public health threat we've ever faced, we would need those numbers. They, certainly Jen Psaki would be telling us those numbers. But because it's not, she won't. It's been a couple of days since we talked about the breakthrough case on the campus here mm -hmm. and that you acknowledge there were additional breakthrough cases. Can you give us now the number of breakthrough cases that have occurred uh, during the Biden presidency? Well, I would say first that um, our medical experts, our health experts, have been conveying from the beginning, as have we, that there would be cases of individuals who are vaccinated who uh, tested positive for COVID. Uh, there are 2,000 people who work on the campus. Uh, and of course, so that means that just statistically speaking, there will be people who are uh, vaccinated individuals who get COVID on the campus. Uh, what I announced yesterday or conveyed yesterday was what our policy would be moving forward. Um, but no, I don't think you can expect that we're going to be providing numbers of breakthrough cases. No. On the one hand, this is hypocritical because whenever any conservative gets COVID, the left makes a big deal about this. Whenever anyone in a conservative state gets COVID, uh, the left makes a big deal about this. So yes, it's hypocritical. On the other hand, yeah, of course they don't need to give us the numbers. It's not that big a deal. They're, people are fine. They're fine. Okay. I know. Are you allowed to say that? I don't know, but I'm going to say that. Unless you're in a particularly at-risk group from coronavirus, it's fine. We don't need to report on how many people are getting it. We don't need to, we don't even need to report on how many people are going to the doctor from this because overwhelmingly they're recovering just fine. You saw the numbers yesterday in Australia, 188,000 tests for coronavirus. And then what was it? 800 some odd people who have got coronavirus and then one person died from coronavirus. So we're going to lock down the country. That doesn't make any sense. That's madness absolute madness. And it's not even the, the craziest thing Jen Psaki has been talking about. I, I, actually, I think this is one of the more reasonable takes that Jen Psaki in the White House has had. No, we're not going to tell you how many people have coronavirus because it just doesn't matter. It's fine. It's a cough for most people. Okay. And, and, they, and they're already vaccinated. And so that kind of contradicts the narrative that the vaccine is extremely effective and, and it's going to prevent you from getting coronavirus. Anyway, what the White House is much more concerned about than controlling the spread of coronavirus is controlling the narrative so that even when the guidance changes from all the genius experts, even when the new rules and the mandates and the restrictions change, they are going to be able to control the flow of information. And the White House is making an even larger play than they have been in recent weeks. In recent weeks, they've been pressuring social media to take a greater hand of censorship of conservatives. They've been pressuring social media to institute more serious punishments. Now they're saying that if you are banned from one social media platform, you should be banned from all of the platforms. Jen Psaki asked this question about whether or not the White House is pushing this kind of stuff if the White House is going to continue to wield its political power to censor people on social media, she says, you're damn right. 
a couple of the steps that we have, um, you, you know, that could be constructive for the public health uh, of the country are uh, providing uh, for, for Facebook or other platforms to measure and publicly share the impact of misinformation on their platform uh, and the audience it's reaching. Uh, also with the public, with all of you, um, to create robust enforcement strategies that bridge their properties and provide transparency about rules. You shouldn't be banned from one platform and not others uh, if you are for uh, uh, providing misinformation out there. Taking faster act action against harmful posts. Remember, Donald Trump's lawsuit against big tech is they violated his First Amendment rights. The only way that this lawsuit works is if they can prove that the government is pressuring social media to act as a proxy for the government to censor people, and Jen Psaki is doing that. Consider how crazy this is. She's saying that if you are ostracized, if you violate the rule on one social media platform, you need to be completely kicked out of the public square. You need to be completely ostracized, like this is ancient imperial Athenian democracy, <laughs> okay? You need to be completely kicked out. And that is what is happening increasingly. And the people who wield the power are going to decide, usually in a somewhat arbitrary or capricious way, who gets booted from the public square. Speaking of unpersoning people, Nancy Pelosi has a novel religious idea. She has a novel religious idea that one can be a devout Catholic and support abortion. It's an issue of health of many women in America, especially those uh, in uh, uh, lower income situations and in uh, different states. And uh, it is something that has been a priority for many of us a long time. Uh, as a devout Catholic and mother of five and six years, uh, I uh, feel that God blessed my husband and me with our beautiful family, five children, six years almost to the day. But that may not be what we should, it's not up to me to dictate that that's what other people should do. And it, it's an issue of, of fairness and uh, justice for poor women in, in our country. So one, it is up to you. You're a legislator. You're the speaker of the house. It's up to you to make the laws. Two, you're saying pretty ghastly thing that you, a nice rich lady, should be able to have a lot of kids. But for poor people, they need to kill their kids so that they can go work in the widget factory or, or whatever. But then to the religious claim, she says, I'm a devout Catholic, but I support abortion. And the thing is, and this is not just my opinion. This is the opinion of the Catholic church which we can know, which is made public. You cannot be an abortion supporter and a devout Catholic at the same time. I'm going to, you remember in seventh or eighth grade, you learned about rules of logic. Do you remember you learned the contrapositive? This is one of those things people learn when they're a kid and they forget. The contrapositive is this. If, if you have if P, then Q, right? Then if not Q, then not P. This, your teacher wrote this on the board when you were in middle school. So to give you a, a lesson on the contrapositive, on contraposition. If you are a devout Catholic, then you do not support abortion. If you support abortion, then you are not a devout Catholic. QED. Uh, there you, thank you for attending my lecture on contraposition. So now some people have said, Michael, how dare you? You can't judge people. I'm not judging her. I'm, I'm not damning her or sending her up to heaven. I, I don't have the power to do that. But I can judge the teaching of the church because the church's teaching is public. And what Nancy Pelosi is doing right here is committing a public sin. It's the sin of scandal. She's also lying. A private sin would be, say, if Nancy Pelosi goes home at night and drinks three bottles of wine. 
and then I gossip around and I, I could start spreading these rumors or something. Or a private sin is she goes and cheats on her husband or whatever. You see, what, what she's committing is a public sin and she's making a claim that is demonstrably false. It is not possible to be a devout Catholic if you support abortion. Now, thankfully, the House GOP is defunding or is, is now trying to defund universities that provide chemical abortions. This is very good stuff being pushed by representatives Mary Miller, Chip Roy, and Steve Daines. Uh, that Steve Daines, obviously, in the United States Senate. Uh, co-sponsoring legislation in response to this 2019 California bill that would provide chemical abortion pills to students at the beginning of 2023. Uh, what what the Congress is saying now is they're, they're going to defund them if they do this. That's very, very good use of the law. There's also really good news here on the pro-life front. Mississippi Attorney General Lynn Fitch is now asking the Supreme Court of the United States to overturn Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey, which was the affirmation of Roe versus Wade. These were two of the most unprincipled, preposterous, unconstitutional decisions in the history of the United States very probably the two worst decisions ever made in the history of the court. And uh, there's a case right now working its way up the courts. It will be heard by the Supreme Court. It's Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. Uh, This is the first major abortion case to be heard by the current court. Uh, It's going to be ruled on uh, in the spring of 2022. And uh, at issue is going to be a Mississippi law prohibiting abortions after 15 weeks. At 15 weeks, a, a baby in the womb can suck its own thumb, okay? So you, <laughs> the, blo- the blob of cells argument is not really going to work very well here. Very, very important stuff. Okay, now speaking of little boys and little girls, before we go, I, I do want to mention, and we'll, we'll get into this a little bit later on, that the Girl Scouts right now, the Girl Scouts of America are pushing an anti-racism guide. They're pushing a a guide that is being formed by critical race theory and these kind of insane leftist racial views. Uh, A Missouri school district right now is paying $15,000 to a critical race theory professor for an audit of the curriculum. Don't let them tell you that that critical race theory is not being taught in elementary schools and middle schools. Okay, that is the focus. But there are a lot of other problems in this country you know, killing babies that can suck their own thumb. That's, that seems like a big problem. You know, of, of forcing people to take experimental drugs if they're not at great risk of a virus, shutting down the whole country, shutting down our churches, taking away people's constitutional rights. That's, that's a big problem. Those are big problems too. There are more problems, I think, than just race. And if we're only going to focus on race, then <laughs> I know it seems paradoxical to people on the left, but actually ra- racial relations are going to hit decades long lows. Not very good stuff. Maybe we should focus on some of the other problems too. And then maybe we'll have a country that, uh, that improves across all of these levels. The podcast that has just hit what hit number two, I think on the charts would happen to be Daily Wire's own Morning Wire. It is number two on Apple podcast charts. It's number 11 on Spotify. We're really happy about this, but it's not enough not enough. We want it to go up higher. Subscribe now to Morning Wire on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Leave a five-star review if you like what you hear. It's a really terrific show. Also, as an all-access member, you can now be a part of the Candace Show live studio audience in the Daily Wire headquarters of Nashville. Head on over to dailywire.com slash tickets today to pick up yours. And after you order Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, you can pre-order Ben's new book. It's coming out on Tuesday. You can pre-order a signed copy for 30 bucks dailywire.com slash Ben. 
The book is called The Authoritarian Moment. Also my campaign slogan. Head on over there. Uh, you'll be able to, when you, when you pre-order this book, put a question in the, in the computer screen. You will then hopefully have your question answered by Ben himself on Tuesday. That is The Authoritarian Moment. A, a great uh, book title and a great campaign slogan. Head on over there right now. We'll be right back with the mailbag. First question up from JD who says, Dear Connecticut Casanova, thank you for recognizing one of my real titles. I dated a girl for a little over five years starting in college and going into my first few years of working life. She broke up with me a while ago, but we continued a sexual relationship for about one year after that. During this time, I was blocked on her social media. Oh man, good grief. And uh, was therefore unaware that she had a serious boyfriend throughout the time we were together. (laughs) She sounds like a pip. Uh, when I became aware, I severed all ties. Recently, she texted me out of the blue and confessed that she wants me back and still loves me. Uh huh. This love apparently caused her to leave that guy to be with me or to be alone. Maybe, I guess. I are you still blocked on social media? She might have another few guys in the corner. Uh, I have a girlfriend that is a red-blooded conservative that I'm incredibly happy with. The question is not who to pick. I know my ex-girlfriend was bad for me, but my question is how do I get rid of this feeling that she is right for me and that I should be with her? It's not fair to myself or my girlfriend to be hung up on a past lover. Sincerely yours, way too nerdy to be this wanted. This problem afflicts a great many. This might afflict every single guy. It's the problem of what if. It's the problem of the one that got away. It's the problem of, should I really lock myself down? I could do this. I could do that. It's the problem of infatuation, which is different than love. Infatuation is when you are obsessed with an idea and it can feel a lot like love. I mean, it can, you know, writers going back to ancient days have written about this feeling of love sickness. Your heart feels like it really hurts. Uh, but you know that this is not ordered properly. You know this is not the right thing. Obviously, in the case of this strumpet that you were, <laughs> you were dating before, who was cheating on her boyfriend with you and who knows how many other guys. Uh, yes, you're right. Obviously, you should stay with your girlfriend. You just got to deal with it, buddy. Get over your feels. Get over all the feels, man. One, one thing that might cure it is getting married. <laughs> uh, one thing that might cure, I'm not, I don't know if you're ready to get married yet or anything like that, but if you just make a decision and say, okay, this is my choice. I'm making this choice. This is a public choice. This chicky is over and I, I might still have feelings and I might still, oh, I still, but what if, and I might, you might, I don't even mean to make fun of you too much, but you might, you might still dream about this girl. You might still think about her. You might still say, what if, what if? Okay. That's life, buddy. Get over it. Make a decision. Sometimes a wrong decision even is better than indecision. Though in this case, it sounds like, (laughs) Sticking with your good conservative girlfriend is, is a way better idea than this uh, harlot that you had previously been dating. But what can I do, Michael? What can I do? I still have feelings. You can act like a man. What's the matter with you? Best of luck. From John. Dear Michael, the Olympics are about to kick into full gear. My question is, will you be watching the games? And what competition do you think is the best and which is the most ridiculous, pointless besides women's soccer? No, I won't be watching the games, not even because of all the un-American people who are supposed to be representing our country, like the hammer throwing girl or whatever, the women's soccer team or, you know, I, I also just don't like the Olympics. I don't care about the Olympics at all. I'm not interested in it. <laughs> I, uh, I guess I hope we win except for the women's soccer, except for the people who hate our country who are on our team. I hope they lose, but I hope that the people who like our country win, I guess, but I just don't care. 
I don't care. I've never seen a soccer game in my life, whether it's women or men, and I just don't, I don't care. The one sport I like in the Olympics, as, I, as always, there's an exception, there's a caveat. The one sport I like is curling. I do. I really like it. I get a, a kick out of it. I think it's a whimsical, funny sport to watch. So I, I might turn that on. But otherwise, no, I, I probably will not be watching. From Liam, dear connoisseur of Kofefe, you have spoken at length of how the political left has made a religion of science. Has the political right made a religion of America's founding? I ask because one will often hear members of the political right say, John Adams says such and such, and the Constitution says this and that. In the same way that Christians argue, St. Paul says such and such, and the Gospels say this and that. Also, you often quote Cardinal Manning saying that all human conflict is ultimately theological. Do you, as a practicing Catholic, have political disagreements with the Protestant founding fathers? Respectfully, a somewhat practicing Catholic. Yes, very astute observation. We do have a civic religion. This is not an accident. This is not even insidious necessarily. Abraham Lincoln called for the development of a civic religion, and I think all states to some degree have a civic religion. So in in our country, the president is the pope, and the senators are the cardinals, and the founding fathers are the, are the church fathers. And and there are other doctors of the, of the church, of the civic religion, and that, of course that's true, because politics ultimately is theological. So of course there are going to be parallels here. Do I have disagreements with the founding fathers? Yeah, I have some disagreement. I mean, by the way, the founding fathers are not a monolith. So in some cases, I agree with Hamilton more than I would agree with Adams. In some cases, vice versa. I generally would agree with Adams and Hamilton and Washington more than I would with Jefferson. But Jefferson made some good points too. So yes, these people are not a monolith. One can have some disagreements with them. In some cases, I have strong disagreements with James Madison. In other cases, Madison you know, made, made very good points. Uh, it is important, I think, to have respect for your founding fathers and, and have respect for the great statesmen of your history and have respect for your tradition and have love for your country. I don't think that's evil or unjust or idolatrous or anything like that. Uh, love of country is an extension of filial piety, of the, of the love of your own family. And if we don't love the men who gave us our country, then uh, we're we don't love our country, right? Then we don't love our history. Then we don't, we don't love ourselves. And we need to have a healthy love of our country if we want to survive. That said, I think you're absolutely right. We must have true religion as well. Otherwise people will make an idol and a religion out of politics. And that's bad whether it happens on the left and on the right. So if you have a healthy love of country and you care about things that John Adams said, and you care about things that the constitution said, and you have that in its proper place, beneath, say, love of God and respect for the eternal moral order, uh, then that's a very good thing. But it reminds me of Chesterton's point that heresy usually is not the promotion of vice er, uh, instead of virtue, but it's the promotion of one virtue to the exclusion of all of the other virtues. So you don't, you don't, that is what idolatry is, right? You don't want to make an idol out of those things. Very perceptive question. From Nick. Hey, Michael, me again. Oh, Nick. Oh, gosh. I'm having trouble in my place of work. As a practicing basic dude, my goals have always been to date women slightly above my appearance level, fair enough, and have guys invite me to BYOB parties on Saturdays. Yeah, it's fun to hang with the boys. The problem is now that I've started dating someone who I believe is at least a seven, I have not been invited out with the boys in some time. Hmm. My question is, does this always happen when a lion is tamed by a slightly above average lioness? Or can you also maintain relationships and time with the boys? 
Thanks. Sincerely, these send-offs are getting tricky, so I'd just like to say Monica Lewinsky. You know, I'm not going to finish reading that. I'm not, not going to read lewd comments about Monica Lewinsky on this show. Uh, you know, Nick, you've had colorful questions in the past, and, I, and this is no different, but it makes a good point. Sometimes men, they're cool guys, and they'll hang out with the dudes, and then they start dating a girl, and things change. And maybe it's that you guys don't like the girl, or maybe it's that you, you are changing with the girl, and you're becoming like a, a, a wuss. or so. I don't, This happens sometimes to guys, or you're allowing yourself to be led, led along by her, and you're not assuming a role of leadership in the relationship, that can happen. And you're going to have to look at yourself in the mirror and make sure that you keep some balance because, well, it's very, obviously it's very important to develop a good and healthy relationship and settle down, Nick, if I can uh, bring together some of your other mailbag questions. That seems to be a problem for you, Nick. Uh, So you're you're going to want to do that, but you're also going to want to have balance in your life and you've got to make some time for the boys. You absolutely have to do that. And uh, if you give yourself wholly just to this lioness who is a seven, as you say, or you, you know, you ignore the women and you just hang with the boys like a derelict all the time. Uh, neither of those are going to be conducive to human flourishing. You want some balance. Moderation is a virtue. From Jen, hi, Michael. I was hearing you saying that you didn't want to live in a world where women were sent to fight our wars in yesterday's show. Yep. I'm a young woman in her 30s with a learning disability. I could never fight. I'm too sensitive. And I agree with you that men and women are different. Do you believe that women should not fight in the army and whatnot? I would like to hear your thoughts on this. I think there can be a, a role for women in the armed forces. And, and there always has been to, to some degree. You know, There have been women who have provided support to the soldiers and pl- played plenty of roles in the military. But I do not support a, a political regime that sends women into combat. Not even because women can't do it. In some cases, women can do it, though obviously women are less physically strong than men. That's just a fact of nature. Uh, my, my issue is one from nature and, and one from politics. I don't want to live in a world in which we are sending our women to go be shot and maimed and die to protect us men. I just think it's wrong. It's ugly. It's a, it's a, it, that's a disordered country, and we need to stop doing it. And the sickos who are suggesting that women need to register for the draft need to be chased out of public life. From Andrew, hey, Michael, I'm hearing Republicans for a long time now say how the internet and social media is the new public square and should be a place for freedom of speech. If you draw that to its logical conclusion, the public square is a place that you can speak on for free. We all have the internet, but the internet is not free. If the Republicans are arguing that the internet is a place for freedom of speech, doesn't that conclude uh, that the internet as a public square should be free or taxpayer funded at the least as the streets are. Thanks. Love your show and all that you do. Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think the, that the internet should be fun- funded by taxpayers. I mean, the internet was developed, by the way, with a lot of money from taxpayers. But l- let's just use the example of the physical public square. Traditionally, people live a while away from the public square. If you live in the country, if you, you know, then you would have to get a horse. You'd have to get a wagon. You'd have to get some way of driving to the public square. So that, that cost would be on you. That's not your wagon and horse are not funded by the taxpayers. If you want to spread your message in the public square, you'd have to print flyers or pamphlets. That's not funded by taxpayers. Uh, if you wanted to, to, uh, really engage in that way, there, there, there is some cost to you and there is some cost to the public right now. It's very easy to get on the internet. There are plenty of public resources to do that, including the public library. So it's an interesting question, but I, I don't, I don't think that, 
in any way the implication is that the internet should be totally funded by the taxpayers. I don't, I don't see I don't see how that argument works. From Camille, hey Michael, I watched a Jordan Peterson interview where he explains that intelligent women tend to have a harder time finding a man. I think this goes along with the do men value humor in a woman question from last week. That was a good question. And whether men find significant value in these qualities. This seems unfair, but alas, life is not fair. I know men and women are different, but what are your thoughts on this sentiment? I think sometimes women can be too picky and place too much value on menial qualities. But for us level-headed women, what is your advice? Side note, not saying I'm the smartest woman out there, but clearly as an avid listener of your show, my intelligence is quite admirable. I would have to agree. Sincerely, please don't tell me smart means settle. Oh, I really like smart women. I, you know, sometimes, how do I put this delicately? There are women who make an idol out of their intelligence, or they they think that their only quality, their most important quality is, is their intelligence. And so, you know, if, if they have bad luck with guys, they'll say, you just can't handle a smart woman. You can't handle an ambitious woman. You get something like that, right? No, I, I love smart women. I have I think exclusively, not exclusively, I've almost exclusively dated smart women. I married a very intelligent woman. And so I I really like that. But there are other qualities. Actually, getting back to the top of our show, we say racism is bad. Okay, sure. But there are other bad things too, right? (laughs) It's not the only bad thing. And so intelligence is a good quality. Yes, but there are other qualities too. Your grace, your kindness, how nurturing you are, how what a sort of sense of humor you have, your physical looks too. I mean, that's not that's not irrelevant. Your uh, dignity, your <laughs> cultivation. I mean, all of these things matter. So no, I I think intelligent women are fabulous. I love them, um, but there are other things in the world too, and I think you need to one needs to be a balanced person, cultivate all of these things. Similar to the answer to Nick, although you, Camille, I think are probably a far more upstanding individual than Nick. That's our show. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you on Monday. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, Be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup by Nika Geneva. And production coordinator, McKenna Waters. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. John Bickley here, Editor-in-Chief of The Daily Wire. Wake up every morning with our new show, Morning Wire. On today's episode, the Tokyo Olympics officially kick off. Hollywood attempts a box office comeback, and the new space race begins. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire. Morning Wire. 